Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, good morning New Zealand. Uh, it's 9.03 here on SENZ with Ian Smith through to 12 o'clock at noon today. A busy show too as we march towards that hour. Tom Walsh starts uh, us off just uh, uh, about two or three minutes away, he's uh, overseas and still competing after the Olympics and still trying to uh, break records and achieve personal bests, etc. We'll catch up with Tom very shortly. Steve Jackson, of course, uh, one of the coaches out at uh, North Harbour. Uh, just what's it like uh, trying to get uh, your team up and running and, and keep the momentum going while you're locked down? Uh, Wairangi Kupu uh, will be with us uh, after 10 o'clock. Uh, more stuff about the Warriors and reliving some of his times as well. Uh, one of the hard men of the game, and he played with a lot of hard men too. Kimberly Downs and Richard Nola are the panel this morning. Look forward to that. Uh, and after 11 o'clock, uh, one of the voices of sport in New Zealand, Glenn Lama, uh, will with us with some tales uh, from his commentary days and uh, what he's impressed with and what he isn't at the moment. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So as our athletes gradually emerge out of MIQ and into lockdown, I have begun to consider what the Tokyo Olympics had confirmed or taught me. It confirmed me for me that New Zealand punches well above its weight still per capita. Uh, so does San Marino, uh, and it also taught me where San Marino is. You don't need fans as an athlete to bring the best out in yourself. You and your fellow competitors can do that. Added to the lure of success, atmosphere can be self-taught. It's okay to share medals, even if they're gold, because fellowship and respect are stronger than metal. Kiwis can still fly forwards or backwards and on the water or on a bike or through the air, dust off that tramp. Grown men can cry and it's okay, just like on MasterChef. Champions are vulnerable. Success and praise and criticism and expectation can bring them down publicly and privately. That those that don't make the cut need as much attention as those that do. It was confirmed that these days it takes all shapes, sizes, races and genders to make a team. Well, certainly at the moment anyway. But when the best get together, records are broken, personal bests are achieved, even the ones we never imagined would. I learned that false starts are brutal, crushing, soul-destroying and final. I learned it's not okay to bite your opponent in the boxing ring on the ear, unless you're Moroccan. It was confirmed that women's, bikini, uh, women's beach volleyball players playing bikinis because they prefer to. And that age is no barrier if you're 12 on a skateboard or 66 on a horse. So as we look forward to Paris in three years, just, just three years away, let's all hope and pray we are out of lockdown and masks are then for Halloween only. God knows, Batwoman and Boy Wonder might have even relented by then. Right, 
right to 906 and uh, there's no rest for best the best shot putters on the planet following the the Tokyo Olympics just over a fortnight since winning uh, his second bronze medal at the Olympic Games uh, Timaru's Tom Walsh is back in action in a stacked field at the Prefontaine Classic in Oregon in the USA uh, and that's uh, where he is joining us now from uh, well Tom good morning to you and uh, it doesn't seem to stop does it no, no. Uh, good morning, Smitty. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it doesn't seem to stop at all. It's, uh, it's the way the athletics works. Always after a good competition, there's a few diamond leagues to you know to get ready for and to tidy the season up. As you head into this event at the weekend, what are the, what are the pro? You know, you know we're in lockdown, so what are the protocols around this event? <laughs> well, well, the joys are that we're in America, and uh, you know they like to live life free, as they like to tell you. So. Um, look, it's uh, there's face masks, and that, um, we got a COVID test once we got to the hotel today, and that was really about it. So uh, it's not uh, not as strict as what it will be in Europe for my next few competitions. So, I mean, that's going to almost be strange. You had to invent your own atmosphere, and all of a sudden, you're going to have a crowd, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be good. Um, I think you know, the, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people. Um, from the Olympics, me. So, uh, you know, look, the crowd, not having the crowds there, yeah, it did take away a little bit, but it was the Olympics at the end of the day. So it still was pretty exciting, and, and uh, you definitely got that little bit of boost of adrenaline. So, um, yeah, but it is going to be really nice to have uh, fans back in the stadium here. And, and in Eugene, Oregon, they call it Track Town USA. So they, uh, they always turns up, turn up in their drones, and, and they're always, they always know what's going on. So it's always a a good competition to compete at. Uh, Tom, uh, one of our last uh, sights of you um, in the flesh was, of course, uh, with tears rolling down your face at the Olympics. Obviously, you know, it was such a such an emotional time for you. Did you did you expect to react in that way? Uh, no, no, I had no idea that I that I would. Um, you know, as I said in that interview, and as I've talked about quite a lot, Smitty, that... Uh, you know, we've all been through a lot, um, and you know, especially even for myself over the last, uh, you know, three or four months being away from home, there's been there's been a lot of self doubt, there's been a lot of uh, second guessing yourself, and um, you know, it was probably just that point in time that I realised that, you know, um, it was it was still pretty cool that I I came away with a, a bronze medal and a season's best throw, but also I was also frustrated, mate, that I didn't get hold of one and and didn't really. Uh, you know, because I feel like I had enough gas in the tank to, to challenge for that uh, for that gold medal. Well, you're on the right track now. It seems you know you you, you showed signs of getting that that uh, the ultimate distance for yourself um, out out of the cabinet, mate. That uh, you're not too far away. So moving forward into this Diamond League, uh, what are the expectations there? Because it's the same blokes you're up against, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is the same blokes, which is uh, which is always a bit of fun. So, um, look, I, one thing I've realised a long time ago that, uh, and sometimes I need re- reminding about it, that uh, you can only control what you, you do, and you can't control what anyone else does. So, look, I know that the um, the guys, you know, Joe and Ryan, especially, and Darwin, um, will be in, in tip-top shape. So, you know, I've just got to you know, think that they're going to throw far, and, and then look, just look after myself. So, you know, I've had a there's definitely a bit of an emotional down um, after the Olympics uh, in terms of, you know, going back into training and, and stuff like that. And I just 
wasn't didn't have quite have that you know that last gear and, and, and throwing, but um, you know I, I started to feel like I had it again um, yesterday, and and which is a good sign coming into the weekend because uh, I, I know I'm in good shape, um, and uh, you know I, I still feel like I've got something to prove still. So what have you been tweaking? Um, you know, obviously for us at the naked eye, it would be very hard to pick up any difference in the way that you deliver the shot. Um, but I, I just wonder, you know, what what um, would you be tweaking that would add those extra centimetres um, towards the 23? Yeah, look, it's nothing in particularly uh, in terms of technical. It's more about, uh, you know, just just trying to have that freedom um, of being able to let go and, and, and I guess, um, you know, have access to, to to all of your energy and all of your horsepower and stuff. And, and you know, you know, on the cricket field, when when the, the you know the fast bowlers are coming in and they they really try and bowl a fast ball, usually it's it's not as fast as when they come in nice and loose and nice and, and have a good rhythm and so forth. So that's kind of what we're really working on at the moment is just staying loose, um, making sure that rhythm's in, in check, um, you know, and, and then when I do that, that's when I throw a really long way. And I felt like I was knocking on the door um, in Rio to that, and I've had some really good sessions since uh, as well. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed, I'm, I'm, I'll give myself the best opportunity to, to throw a long way on uh, Saturday night. Talk about uh, deja vu. I, I read this morning, which I, I hadn't, I should have known, but I, I really didn't know that, that unique podium finish between uh, with yourself, uh, Ryan Krauser and Joe Kovacs uh, was exactly the same as, as the one at the previous Olympics, which is the first time in the history of the Olympic Games that has happened. Mate, that is quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's just a pity that it's the same order. Um, it would be good if it was the same three of us but in a slightly different order. But, uh, yeah, that, that is a pretty pretty amazing thing to be a part of. Um, and, you know, between the three of us over the last five years, you know, we've pretty much, you know, taken the medals every time around. So um, it is pretty cool to be a part of that. But, you know, as I said, I'll, you know, that third step isn't the best one to be on to. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, uh, there's a photo of you guys all standing on, as you do, you, you group around the gold medal guy and you stand on the, on the, the upper deck, so to speak. Uh, he's a giant. Ryan Krause is a giant man. You're a big unit, but he's a giant of a man. <laughs> he, he sure is, mate. He's a uh, you know he's a six seven um, and uh, 145 kg guy. So uh, he's a big guy. And, and Joe's Joe's uh, he likes to tell you that he's six foot, but he's really five eleven and a half. Um, but he's he's uh, 145 kgs too. So you know, that's shot put boys. We're not we don't mess around. We're uh, we're big units. Yeah, look, if you look at the pictures coming in, you know, you're all in your own little zone uh, most of the time when you're actually at the event competing. But it seems to me even then there's a hell of a amount of camaraderie. There's a few smiles. Um, you know, you, you're all in that, that same little bubble as such doing your own thing. It seems to be a, a pretty convivial, friendly sort of bunch. <laughs> yes, maybe. Um, I think uh, one thing I've said over the years is for some reason, um, the shot put boys generally get on, and I think it's because of there's two reasons. It's because we usually bond over the local beer and the local food. And, uh, you know, whenever you got that involved, it, it generally turns out to be, you know, a pretty good night, and we usually, you know, talk a little bit of smack to each other. And, uh, and look, we, we do this, and I do this because I really 
really love what I do. I really enjoy throwing and, and the challenge of throwing, but I also enjoy the social side of it too. Do you, you know, do you get much of a chance to do that? I mean, uh, it sounds to me like a good old rugby story. That a, a great group of guys, and <laughs> I mean, you'll be lifelong. You'll be lifelong friends, won't you? To be fair. Yeah, I think we will be. Um, you know, look, for sure there's, there's maybe not as many bears as what the uh, in the old footy and cricket days. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we do travel around a lot and, um, you know, we, we, we like to try and at least get out of the hotel for a dinner, you know, after the event and, and maybe one or two bears. Um, but then, then we're always on to the next next stop too. So, you know, we have a lot of shared experiences and, and, and we, we definitely have uh, a lot of fun, that's for sure. Uh, hey, uh, Jack O'Gill finished ninth, which uh, amazingly is exactly where he finished in the final in Rio. So there's a lot of symmetry uh, in this shot putting gig, uh, to be fair. Um, mm-hmm. Jack O, um, he tours the world uh, with you and to a lot of these events, doesn't quite get the same finish, so therefore the same accolades. But he's he's a young bloke. He's, tell us a wee bit about Jack O'Gill. Yeah, so one thing um, people don't realise about Jack O um, is that he's made the the final, so the top 12 guys um, uh, in, at World Championships and Olympic Games um, since 2015, wasn't it? So we've both we've both been in the final every time, which is which is a hell of an achievement. Um, and and Jacko's, you know, obviously was a, a childhood sensation, and and you know broke um, world and, and junior uh, world, world youth records and junior records and, and so forth, and and probably found uh, the you know the first few years, three or four years of, of um, the senior ranks a little bit tough, but especially over the last three or four years, he's kind of really come into his own. He usually, you know, PBs or, or performs yeah, very well at major championships, and you know, I think uh, that I'm because I'm because I'm doing so well. Um, some of the limelight has been taken off him, but I know um, both ways that you know, without without him, I wouldn't be the thrower I am today, and and uh, you know, without me, he wouldn't be the thrower I am today. He is today, so. Um, we are, you know, we're doing we're doing New Zealand proud, I think, and and um, you know, it's it's a pretty cool to have another Kiwi uh, on on the tour and 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 at some of the stops that uh, uh, that we we stop at. So the finals on Sunday morning of uh, the Prefontaine Classic, um, and it's uh, around about twenty to ten New Zealand time. We can't wait to see you back in action. When we watch you, when we see you. Uh, we'll be looking at your shirt. Have you got a sponsor on it, or does it still say Space for Rent? <laughs> no, mate, there's still plenty of space for rent there. We, uh, I think, you know, with, with COVID times, things are a little bit tough, and, and uh, we just haven't managed to find the right person yet, to, or right business yet, to jump on board. So, uh, you know, there's still plenty of space for rent, really. All right, number three, uh, number three bronze medal in the world's got to be worth a bit of freight, doesn't it? Well, I like to think so, mate. And there's a bit, of, you know, there's a bit of area on the front of the chest too to to whack the company logo on there or something like that. So, um, you know, I'd like to. Oh, you know, one day we might we might get it. We might get something out there. <laughs> uh, so at this stage, uh, you've got the diamond uh, these diamond events, uh, to, diamond league events to go through. Uh, when are you anticipating uh, that uh, your friends and family will see you back down south? <laughs> uh, well, I'm meant to be landing in Christchurch on the, the 17th of September if everything goes to plan after another uh, five competitions, um, and uh, and then obviously two weeks of MIQ, and uh, and hopefully by that time, 
you know, New Zealand's on the lockdown anymore, and we can we can move around a little bit freer. So, uh, but still, it's still a while away until I'm home and free. Well, travel well, shop put well, um, and uh, we're, we're always keeping an eye on it wherever in the world that you are, mate. You're one of our genuine. Uh, Modern day heroes, and uh, again, you, you put a smile on, on our face, a tear on our cheeks again. So, Tom Walsh, it would be great to see you when you are home, but in the meantime, travel safe, well, and successfully. Thank you. So, thanks, Louis. Yes, it's uh, Tom Walsh, folks. Uh, an absolute, uh, oh, he is. He's just one of those great Kiwi blokes. I mean, he's just a fantastic guy. I've met him in person, and you just you would not know. I mean, he is uh, one of the world's best in his field because he just he tends to shun that kind of thing and, and seem to be more interested in what you're actually doing yourself. So uh, he came into a cricket commentary box um, while we were down in Christchurch at one point, uh, spent a couple of hours with us, and every bloke that was not commentating at the time was just glued, just around him, listening to him and talking to him. Such an engaging person. So and a reminder that what you've ever achieved in life, you should always be interested uh, and what others have done as well. Uh, look, text 8833. 8833 is our text number. 0800 150 is our phone number. I know it's a lockdown Friday. It's come to the end of the week. It looks, for all intents and purposes, is, uh, that she who must be obeyed will keep us locked down for quite some time. Um, so get on the blower or 8833 with your impressions. Uh, what, do you, what did you think? Your final take on uh, people like Tom Walsh and... And what I had to say early in the, the morning about my sermon, um, what actually did you get out of the Olympics? What's the one thing you got out of the Olympics with no crowds and uh, COVID-type Olympics? What, what was the thing that impressed you most or disappointed you the most about uh, the Olympics? That might be our subject for the morning. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.25 here on Mornings with uh, SCNZ. Uh, Chris uh, sent in a text, which is quite true, quite funny. Uh, must have been a solidly built dais to support those heavy hitters in the shot put final uh, at the uh, Olympics with the medal ceremony because they are all big units. Yeah, that Ryan Krauser, what a sizable chap he is. Uh, uh, well done to Tom. Always uh, enjoy watching and listening to him and... That's truth. That ain't the, that is the truth. Uh, what is also the truth is uh, the Women's British Open started last night and uh, Lydia Ko, when, uh, when asked uh, earlier in the week who uh, she thought might be uh, the hardest one to beat or one of the favourites, she said Nelly Korda and uh, she was right on the money. Nelly Korda, uh, Sweden's uh, Madeleine Sagstrom and uh, South Korea's Kim Se-young share the lead uh, at five under after the opening round at uh, Carnoustie. Uh, she's very, very good golfer, this uh, girl, Korda. I've, I've mentioned before about what a powerful family they are. Probably the most successful sporting family across the globe at the moment are the Korda's. When you look at uh, what mum, dad, sister and brother have also achieved. Uh, of course, she won the Olympic gold not uh, that long ago. She shot eight birdies. Eight birdies on the Carnoustie course uh, and three bogeys for uh, five under. Lydia Ko is five shots back. So she's still very much in the hunt after the first round. You can't win it on the first day, but you can certainly knock yourself out of contention. She hasn't done that. So three birdies and three bogeys on the front nine and then nine pars on the back nine. So she's solid. Um, her game is in great shape, and she just needs a few more of those putts, etc., to drop. So she'll have a slightly later tee-off time tonight because she was very early uh, last night, John. So, yeah, Lydia... Coming to the fortune, I like listening to that Tom Walsh. He's, I mean, he is the quintessential 
Kiwi bloke who's doing great. Really? Yeah, man. Uh, from South Canterbury, which you can always enjoy. I was, uh, know the South Canterbury rugby team's looking for a new name. Uh, what about the South Canterbury shot puts? Could be a, a name yeah. for them, just with a little emblem of Tom Walsh getting in the circle. Uh, such a good dude. I just feel like he's playing catch-up at the moment. Smithy, he's obviously been a world champion before. He's been on top of the podium. But now, Ryan Krauser, he's at his hometown in Oregon, in Eugene. Massive crowd for him. He threw a world record at the very same ground earlier in the year. A huge, huge distance of over, what, 23.37 metres or something like that. Um, Just, I get the feeling that um, it's mentally tough for Tom. Um, He's been the top dog. Now he's playing catch-up. He's almost a metre behind where Ryan Krause is throwing at the moment. Just mentally, the work that he's doing with his coach, Dale Stevenson, uh, must be huge just to get him to relax and be like, well, you can do this, Tom. Uh, your personal best is 22.9, but he needs to clear 23 metres if he's to beat Ryan Krauser. So that mental challenge must be huge for him, Smithy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you see Krauser there and you know that, um, you know, he's he's the yardstick, but he's always there. Every time you turn up, he's there. I mean, goodness knows, there must have been so many New Zealand athletes over there that other athletes from around the world have, have felt exactly the same thing about. But Tom Walsh is going through it. Uh, at the moment, and you know, you look at the tenacity of, of a guy like Jack O'Gill, still very young, but he's been doing the sport for a long, long time, um, you know, and he doesn't get a medal, he goes, he gives it his all, he doesn't give a medal, but he hangs in there, uh, I think that's just as good a story for me, you know, when you see a young a young bloke do that, that's that's just as a good as an example, I, I feel not as household, a bigger household name, but just as good an example to young people. Yeah, it must be easy to toss it in, you know, once you're a child prodigy like Jacko was and creating all these junior world records and then you get to the senior level and you just can't quite capitalise on that potential you're showing. You might be like, oh, well, I can't be the best in the world at shot put. Maybe it's not for me. Move on, do something else. But nah, Jacko, very tenacious, always there or thereabouts. Um, So I'll be watching on Sunday morning. There's not a lot of sport around locally, Smithy. So Sunday morning, about half past nine, uh, watch the Prefontaine Classic. Uh, not just Tom Walsh and all those big shot putters, but I think there's something like 42 Olympic medalists at the Prefontaine Classic. So as far as athletics goes, uh, it's a huge meet and right in a good time zone for us on Sunday morning. Yep, I'll be with you. I'll be watching as well, as long as uh, as well as the, the PGA, which is coming in from America at the moment. So as he said, Americans just get on and do it. There's plenty more of them than us, to be fair. So, uh, you know, that, that's their attitude. But yeah, let's just keep ploughing on through this whole thing. Uh, it's 9.30 uh, at the moment right now. Yes, it just ticks over to 9.30. Uh, we've got news. And then after that, Steve Jackson from North Harbour. Well, they were indeed halcyon days back in 1985 when North Harbour launched their side into Division 3 of the National Championship. It was back then. They've made their way through to Division 1 with a stable of really classy players. Back then it was Shelford and Cunningham and Spate, McGann, Bodica, Todd Turner, Dow. Those were the, some of the great names going way back. And Onywood Domain used to be absolutely chocker every time North Harbour played there. Uh, there were full houses, then you'd stroll across, particularly for the Battle of the Bridge against Auckland, you stroll across the park there uh, at Takapuna, and you go to the Po and drink some beers. It was just uh, in the Sinbin. It was just uh, like a tradition. 
fantastic tradition. Well, traditions change. Uh, these days they don't play there. Uh, and, of course, uh, these days, um, you know, they haven't quite perhaps got those, those great names in terms of the Shelfords and co, but they've got a very, very useful side and a great bunch of coaches as well, one of which is Steve Jackson. And whilst the NPC is on hold uh, it, and everyone is really in level, clear, level four, it's unclear, Steve, uh, when things are, are going to free up. So uh, from a coaching point of view, uh, it must be extremely frustrating having just started the season. Yeah, it is, Smitty, and yeah, look, good to be on your show and good to get a break from um, you know, a little bit of homeschooling here at the moment. But yeah, look, it is, it is frustrating, but again, it is what it is, and we know the you know the world that we live in at the moment, things can change very quick, so you know we had to be prepared, and you know that was part of our planning at the start of this campaign, that you know things can change and they can change really quick. You know, although we started to get a little bit of momentum with a win against um, the counties and we were looking forward to playing Southland at home, um, you know, things have happened and, you know, everyone's in lockdown um, and we're doing what we can as a team um, without being together. Steve, before uh, COVID situation cropped up initially, you got North Harbour up from the Championship to the Premiership in 2016 uh, and now you're back. What brought you back to uh, the Harbour Union and the coaching job? Yeah, look, mate, I was, I was over in Japan um, and then when COVID hit, my family was supposed to come up in April just and then obviously visit for the school holidays. And, um, you know, I hadn't seen my oldest boy for about 16 months. So, you know, I decided to return home and, you know, um, you know joining North Harbour or any other union, you know, was far from my mind. And you know, when I arrived home, I had Alex King as a head of, head of performance at North Harbour, wanted to catch up for coffee. And, and then himself and Dan said, look, we'll be looking for a third coach and we have someone, would you be, would you be interested in, in giving us a hand? And, you know, um, you know, I'm a West Auckland boy and a, and a harbour man, and I, I just said, you know, without any hesitation, mate, yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's really how it came about. Um, you know, and you know, it's it's good to work again with Dan and, and obviously Bigsy, you know, who who are two really great up and coming coaches. So you know, we got a good relationship. So it was a it was a no brainer for me, mate. And Steve's talking about Daniel Halangahu there and uh, Ben Afiaki. Uh, of course, whose career was cut short um, because of his, uh, concussion issues and things, and it's great to see him uh, in the coaching role. How do you split the role up between the three of you? Yeah, look, um, Ben obviously is a Ford's coach, um, takes care of scrum line out, you know, and obviously it's part of the breakdown. I do defence and Dan does attack, but you know, as, as we work as a coaching group, we cross over into each other's um, areas because we've all had, you know, um, experience and, and all those sorts of areas so you know we, we've got a good working relationship we don't just um sit in our own little in a little um area you know we have discussions you know and good robust discussions around um you know things you know most things to do with to do with rugby um and, and for us really it's just you know you know when you're the attack coach that's your title um but dan also does you know works alongside me with the set piece defense um, I work with Bigsy, obviously, being a, uh, an ex-Ford myself and a Ford's coach. And Bigsy's um, really um, skilled in, in the defensive part of things. And he, he helped out in 216, 215 with North Harbour coming in and did a bit of um, um, defensive stuff for us there. So, yeah, although we had our titles, mate, um, you know, we, we sort of bounced things off each other. Uh, Steve, you've got the players to a certain level where they're playing, you've had a, a, a loss and a win, and now you've got this hiatus, which we do not know how long it's going to last. So 
how do you main con- maintain contact with your players? How do you maintain that at some, you know, at some sort of fitness levels and, and regimes are, are, are being adhered to? I know we can't go to gyms and things, but we are allowed out and about to run around the park and that sort of thing. So how do you, how do you try and maintain contact and standards in this situation? Yeah, look, instead of looking at it as a, you know, as a, as a bit of a stop in our, in our progress, we're looking at it as an opportunity to, to one, obviously freshen the guys' bodies and minds up. Um, but obviously, you know, as soon as we knew, the next morning after NZRU told us what was going to be happening, um, then we had a Zoom meeting with our whole squad, uh, management um, included, um, and we, you know, we flushed out any questions that the, the players might have. And look, there's some guys that, uh, you know, do have gym equipment at, at home, um, they do Zoom sessions. We have, we get them into mini team competitions where they do burpees for a certain amount of time, and and we put all their points together. So, you know, and, and the management group is constantly involved um, with that as well. So, you know, the Zooms are a, a pretty good tool for us to use at the moment, um, just to stay connected. But the main thing really for us was just to to make sure you know the well-being of our players is first, is first and foremost. You know, because some of our players are, are living by themselves. Some of them haven't been able to get back home. Um, so, you know, we're just making sure that 24-7, you know, if the players are feeling anything, that they can give us a call um, at, at any point in time. Um, so, yeah, we're really mindful of that part. Steve, you've also, um, of course, had heavy involvement with uh, Manu Samoa, uh, who, again, uh, and congratulations to them, have uh, made it through uh, the phase towards uh, the next World Cup. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit too about um, the coaching of Manu Samora and trying to bring that team together from you know from all parts really to get them uh, up and running at the right time. Yeah, look, and I think that was one of the um, um, the difficulties when you, when you take over the job <clears throat> wasn't necessarily around the coaching part of things. Um, you know, you understand the culture because a lot of teams that we have here in New Zealand. There's a lot of Pacific Island boys, and you've got to understand, you know, where they've come from and what sort of background they live in. And the more difficulty was trying to get players from overseas and, and dealing with the overseas clubs. Um, you know, there are laws in world rugby where um, clubs, you know, have to release their players um, for certain periods of time and for international um, fixtures. But you know, after being involved with Samar, we know that's not the case, and. You know, teams can release their players, but then on the flip side of things, I'll tell them, look, you know, you've got another um, year with us, and then, you know, if you go and play for Samoa, then we won't re-sign you, and that's just the reality. You know, they pay them the, the, the top dollar. Um, so, you know, obviously, when we went to Rugby World Cup, we weren't getting the best players, and then, you know, you have um, players within Super Rugby um, that are contracted with Australia and New Zealand um, that can't make themselves available um, for... Um, the Pacific Island teams for Tonga and, and Samoa and Fiji um, because of their um, contract restrictions. So around those sorts of things, it's pretty tough. You know, and, and you look at, you know, I mean, we had, I think, probably 60, 70 players on a list, excluding the, the players that we already selected um, that you know, potentially could play for, for Samoa. Um, but unfortunately, due to you know, some circumstances, um, you know, that one, they either made, us, made themselves unavailable or... Um, Contractually, they weren't able to, to play for summer. In terms of uh, in terms of North Harbour, I've, I lived in, I lived on the shore for a while, and you know, it always appeared that people were a little bit slower of getting in behind and, and galvanising. And that was I thought that was okay initially, 
you know, uh, this this province now, this rugby province and associated sports and well, uh, have been around now for, you know, coming up 35, 36 years. How do you feel the feeling is around uh, North Harbour rugby, North Harbour sport in particular? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, you know obviously we've got the bakers that are over the shore and, you know, basketball's obviously massive um, at, at this point in time. I mean, there's a lot of other interests. We had the baseball um, Auckland Tuataras that were were based out of North Harbour Stadium as well. So there's that little bit of um, you know competition going on within sports. Um, but again, you know, as you said, Smitty, it's one of the fastest growing regions in New Zealand. Um, and then again, you know, it's obviously teams getting behind. Uh, sorry, communities getting behind teams that that, that do well. Um, and we understand now that we're in the championship, mate, and we've got to get back to the premiership and start winning. Um, and we know winning brings supporters, and winning brings sponsorships and things like that. So. You know the players understand that now, um, and we just got to obviously we just got to do our best. You know, and you mentioned, um, you know, being out of Takatuna and Oniwa Domain and, and things like that. Those are the, you know, we've got to get out to those uh, community hubs, the clubs, and that because they're, they're um, all the good people within rugby that you know, um, they obviously have there's some people there that have got money, um, but we just got to make it make sure that. You know, we're playing in a competition and playing a style of rugby that people love and want to come and watch. And it is a difficult, um, you know, it's not just time, but it is a difficult sell. Um, you know, we've only got to look at what the Blues did. You know, they were struggling for, you know, um, bums on seats and then they, you know, started to get some success and, and, then, and then the crowd started to come. But, you know, there's a lot of other things. I mean, North Harbour Stadium is one of the more accessible um, stadiums in, in New Zealand, you know, you come straight off the motorway, but, you know, um, again, just to understand, you know, we may not have that amount of people to be able to come to our stadiums all the time, so, you know, we've got to look at every avenue um, to make sure that we get bums on seats, and again, mate, it starts with winning, um, when you get people there. Well, hopefully we can get some rugby very shortly, it's not looking promising for a little while with... Um case after case being uh, revealed, particularly in the Auckland area. So uh, at the moment, you might be on hold for a while, Steve, but the good news is that um, uh, one of the things that does attract uh, fans to rugby, uh, as you say, they need those trophies and those traditions is the Ranfurly Shield, and um, there is a possibility you could perhaps challenge Hawke's Bay. Uh, back in your day, what, what did the, the winning the Shield mean, um, or challenging and winning the Shield mean to you? Yeah, look, I, I had that question um, post, uh, asked to me a few weeks ago, and um, I, I, I truly believe it's one of the, it's, well, for me, um, every single team gets excited about the Ranfilly Shield. I remember my playing days in Southland. And you you probably get more messages and more support when you go and play for a Ranfilly Shield than what you actually do when you go into a final, a championship or a premiership. Um, and, and, it's, and it's a one-off because you don't, get the opportunity to play for it every year. Um, so, mate, it's massive. I, I love the fact that being a player and a coach, you know, I never won it as a player, but you know, obviously won it with counties as a coach. And, and what it does for a community um, is actually bigger than what it does when you win a premiership or championship. So, look, I know that the lockdown is going to be for a wee while smoothie and, you know, hopefully when we come out of it, the first game we've got is that Danfield Shield Challenge down in Hawke's Bay. So, mate, it's massive. Um, and, and it'll always be like that. You know, it's a tradition that's been going for, for a long, long time. You know, and teams get up for it. Um, teams actually, you know, you go and get a look at the, the Hawks, Hawks Bay, the way they defended it um, the other week. You know, people grow another arm and a leg 
um, when they've got it and actually when they're going to challenge for it. Steve, uh, just finally, one of the beauties of um, modern technology is people can text them while you're talking, and someone just texted, and Chase actually from Waiuku has texted and said, uh, would Steve Jackson be interested in the now vacant Blues defensive coaching job? <laughs> yeah, look, mate, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy just doing coming back and doing the NPC. Um, the beauty about the NPC is that, you know, everybody loves it. But, you know, people love to come and watch it. Um, people love to watch it on TV. And, and it's a little bit more relaxed than being in the Super Rugby. And obviously, I've been part of the Blues before. Um, and look, I'll be honest with you, Smitty and, and the, the, the gentleman that asked the question, but I'm just concentrating on North Harbour. Um, and, you know, obviously coming back and, and what I can best do for Harbour, and not just as a from a coaching point of view, but also a community and, and commercial point of view and try and help out as much as I can in all areas, mate, to try and to try and keep this union moving forward. Good on you, Steve. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. You're really uh, honest and upfront about uh, proceeding. So uh, thank you. Uh, good luck uh, getting through this uh, horrible COVID situation and good luck with North Harbour and we'll keep the shield nice and shiny for you to at least look at when you come down here. 94, uh, 94. 9.46 here uh, on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Zoom would be very busy throughout the country, whatever business you're involved in, but I'll, I'll bet Zoom and uh, all those sorts of meetings uh, is going overtime around uh, New Zealand rugby and, uh, for that matter, all the members of Sanzar because yesterday we broke the story, um, well, we broke the rumour that perhaps that uh, the Rugby Championship was considering an unprecedented mid-tournament move to Europe uh, to continue on. In other words, all the uh, relative sides congregate in, uh, in Europe or around England, uh, which is now at the moment 0-0 uh, in terms of lockdown. They're full steam ahead in terms of crowds and their sporting facilities and fixtures, etc. So uh, that was a possibility because um, yeah, it just kind of makes sense. Uh, so we're not quite sure whether that is... Uh, Perhaps a possibility. There's always uh, the thought that it could go to back to South Africa. Of course, they've just had a series here against the Lions, but with no fans, you're sort of defeating your purpose a wee bit if you want to get some atmosphere and generate some income there. Um, the other issue was to move the game, all the games, to perhaps to Queensland away from Perth. Uh, but finding the stadiums that are big enough to host those matches on those consecutive weekends would be a bit of a problem. And the reason why is, of course, uh, they're heavily into uh, the AFL. Uh, and the NRL reaching their important stages of the season. So uh, they're their own entity in their own right, and they're hardly likely to give up their grounds, being other codes, um, to rugby union. So we're going to discuss those kind of matters with the panel this morning. It's uh, Kimberly Downs and Richard Nola. That's around uh, 20 past 10. Uh, and after 10 o'clock, I'm really looking forward to talking to uh, Wairangi Kupo, uh, of course, of rugby league fame. Of course, he does a lot of work too with uh, the crowd goes wild. He's top bloke. Uh, and just how good are those? Uh, how good are those warriors at the moment? And what's the chance of four in a row? Uh, speaking of how good, how good was yesterday's multi? And uh, the details of that amazing success and the chance of some today uh, will be with you shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got no way to hold. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 
Well, it was a close call on all three options yesterday, but we got them home. Luck was on our side. $1.75, the Liberty beating the Storm. Um, the Melbourne Storm just uh, getting that margin of 13 plus in the end, $1.36. And New England beat uh, DC United uh, at a buck seventy-three. So, yep, we got at home at $4.11. Fantastic news. Excuse me. <laughs> little cough there. Uh, okay. The Seagulls to beat the Raiders, uh, $1.38 tonight. Sharks to beat the Tigers at $1.56, NRL of course. Got to get onto this one relatively quickly because one of them is a tennis match um, in about an hour's time. Naomi Osaka will beat Jill Teichman at $1.22. In South Africa to beat uh, the Pumas uh, at 13 plus at $1.72. So our weekend multi will get you back $4.52 and we're looking at three in a row in the weekend multi department. It's 10 o'clock. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It's a classic NRL encounter this weekend at Suncorp Stadium as the Warriors take on the Broncos on Sunday, both very much informed sides. Uh, with us uh, very shortly is former Warrior Wairangi Kupo, who had a couple of run-ins with the Broncos way back in his day. And he cops plenty. Oh, it's on. Carl Webb was in the thick of it. Oh, mayhem at Ericsson. All hell is broken loose. Punches coming from everywhere. Oh, Goodenbill getting a couple in. And don't they love it? Well, Casey Maguire has been sin-binned. And Carl Webb is a pretty handy boxer, I might say. He gets 10 as well. So Brisbane are down to 11. Someone might get more than 10 minutes in amongst all of this. And I think you'll find out when Gutton Bills the other one that'll be called out. Corpu gets Monty, 10. It all comes down to you with the elbow. You started the whole thing. Go and take 10 as well. And Beetham gets 10 as well. Ah, well, that was uh, 18 years ago, Wairangi Corpu. What are your memories of that particular episode? Costo at his best. <laughs> yeah, good day, mate. Yeah, morning, morning. Uh, yeah, well, man, back in the days when you could sort things out short and and sharp and uh, get on with the rugby league game, but uh, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I remember, I remember it well. I remember it very well. I remember um, Monty being, uh, yeah, typical feisty Monty. You know, he didn't mind sort of mixing it up with a couple of the big boys, and it just so sort of happened that it sort of something started, and I happened to be there at dummy half. And I was very, uh, I was very fortunate because knowing Carl Webb and and his boxing background as well, he threw this huge overhand right, and I remember seeing it in slow mo come down just in front of my face and thinking to myself, geez, if that connected, I would have been more than 10 minutes here in the bin. I would have been on the sideline for the rest of the game. So, um, yeah, no, it was, there were some classic, classic encounters uh, uh, at Mount Smart Stadium uh, against the Broncos in particular. You know, the fans that turned out to watch those games, they were always in for a treat. <laughs> when you got the marching orders, what, what were you thinking? I'm lucky to be out of here or give me a break? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I didn't sort of put myself in the same sort of category as, as the bad boy Monty Beef, and so we were sitting in the shed together, and you know, he was sort of talking to me about, oh, you know, did you did you manage to put one on on anybody? And I keep thinking to myself, no, I was throwing handbags pretty much the the entire time, and and, and lucky that uh, Brent Webb at the time I think was holding back Carl Webb, so I think I punched him in the armpit a couple of times, which was uh, you know probably his 
probably the best that I ever did in my entire career. Uh, it didn't stop there, but uh, 2002, we've got March on a wee bit forward. We're going to talk some rugby league at some point, don't worry, Warangi. Uh, we'll just be, you, had a front row, <laughs> you had a front row seat when Kevin Campion uh, infamously split Shane Webke open. Uh, you wouldn't want to meet Kevin Campion down a dark alley. He'd be a good bloke to have in your team, wouldn't he? Yeah, he was, mate. He, was, he, he taught me a lot. You know, some things were a little bit uh, misguided in terms of what he taught me, but um, by the way, in terms of um, characters, uh, Campo was a, he was a huge influence on my career. He's had a great sort of old school attitude, and um, uh, yeah, taught me taught me a lot of sort of tough life lessons and indeed. But yeah, no, the actual actually the fact that I was actually supposed to be packing down in the front row um, when that uh, when that broke out and. Then, Campo came up behind me, and in t- typical Campo you know, voice, he's gone, get in the, get in the back, get in the back. And so so I, I've pushed back into into the back, and he's packed down in the front row. And then just out of nowhere, he just threw this huge sort of shot at, at, at Webkey at the time, because Webkey was being a, uh, an easy sort of typical Webkey, trying to get a little bit of advantage for his, uh, for his team. Um, yeah, it swiftly ended at that scrum, that's for sure. <laughs> Hey, hey, look, is it something in the water uh, that you guys drink when the Broncos uh, play the Warriors? Why is it always them? I think originally it was because the Broncos were the very first game. Um, we hadn't beaten them, uh, you know, I think I think it wasn't until 2001 um, that we actually beat them um, at home. And so... That was a first, and so that was a that was an epic clash. The first time we actually ever beaten beaten the Broncos at home, um, and then it sort of just continued on from there. Um, and so yeah, from from then on in, it just became this this giant clash because they were really um, they were they were sort of around that time our sort of big brothers in terms of you know being in this New South Wales competition. Um, you know, the Queensland had sort of gone out. You know, this standalone team in a standalone city and um, you know, they'd sort of paved their way in the NRL uh, and then we sort of looked up to them a little bit being that we were a sort of, you know, only you know, five or six years into the into being in the competition. So um, yeah, it was it was a, it was always a huge sort of match and, and you know, the fans loved it. Well, they're uh, up against each other at the weekend of course and uh, the Warriors uh, have a three game winning streak going at the moment. Uh, and that's on the back of farewelling a, a couple of their uh, high-profile players, including uh, Roger Tuivasa-Shirk. Is this, is this little run uh, unexpected for you, Wailangi? Um, I mean, I suppose it's unexpected in, in, in those terms. You know, you lose sort of one of your most influential leaders in Roger Tuivasa-Shirk, and, um, and then, you know, I still manage to find some form. Um, yeah, there is some, you know, there's still some leaders in that team, um, the likes of Dylan Watson as a leading who has joined the club and you know, being currently your captain. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was fantastic for the team. And then you've got, you know, the ones who sort of do their talking uh, with their actions and Adam Fenua Blake and and the like. So, um, you know, it's it it, it it it's sort of a little bit of a surprise that they've strung together this many wins um, over three games. Uh, but in terms of the caliber of opposition, um, you know, they've. You know, they've sort of met some teams that have allowed them to really grind out games of football, uh, which is one real, real good positive. And they're going to need that again this week because obviously the Broncos, even though they're, uh, you know, they're low on the 
in terms of the table. Um, and, you know, they've lost the last two games. You know, they are, they are finding a little bit of form. You know, against the Roosters, you know, they almost got them for the second time this year and it was sort of just a little bit unlucky. They probably should have won that game. But, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're going to be tough to contend with, you know, knowing the likes of sort of um, Payne Haas um, uh, and those boys. It's, it, yeah, it is going to be, you know, it's going to be a big challenge for them. One of the great things to emerge uh, out of this Bron- uh, Warrior season in particular has been uh, Reese Walsh. He's been amazing. I mean, what he can do on a footy field, it's quite mirac- miraculous at times. And, uh, of course, his, his, the Reese Walsh saga has, has played out a wee bit during the week, Wailangi, with uh, the Broncos hierarchy saying, yeah, we're going to do everything we can to get him back. And Cameron George returning served by saying, well, you should let him go in the first place. Um, do you think Walsh will? Do you think Walsh will stay at Warriors? Uh, will it be? A, uh, will it, will he be drawn back to uh, <clears throat> to Brisbane? Because the, the one thing, of course, Reese Walsh hasn't done is is that to play for the real Warriors, which means living in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's interesting concept, and you know, the, the kid's only young. You know, he's only he's barely half a season into his career, um, and we hope that he has a has a real long career. I think. Bruce Walsh being the age that he is at the moment. I think he'll really appreciate the loyalty that the Warriors have shown to him. Um, you know, it's a good environment to be in. Um, uh, you know, just... Yeah. We might just have... Uh, we might just we might just have uh, dropped out at the moment. We'll try and um, get him back because I'm really, really enjoying... Uh, uh, these uh, recounting these stories and and Wairangi Kupu's opinion on things, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I totally agree with that. It's a very hard one to call this weekend. Uh, it's one that you think um, the Warriors have more to play for because uh, mathematically, mathematically, uh, Wairangi, uh, of course, the Warriors can can make it back uh, or make it into the eight. Still, it's it's a pipe dream, but certainly it's a, it's a possibility. The Broncos can't. So as I say, the Warriors appear to have more to play for. Um, but you know, uh, it's, it's such a hard comp to read at the moment. Yeah, I mean, other than those those top teams, you know, those top four, five teams, yeah, it is, it's real difficult. There's about seven teams that are still vying for the tail end of the of the top eight at the moment. And yeah, I mean, the the Warriors are sort of poised in a good position, being that you know they don't play anybody other than. Really, the Titans um, in, a, in the in the last round who were sitting in eighth. Uh, who, you know, who sort of, they weren't too bad last night, but, you know, they got beat by Melbourne Storm. You know, the Canberra Raiders, they're, they're slipping very quickly. Um, you know, I think they're sitting in ninth. Um, so, you know, you know, if we win this game and then sort of go on to face a couple of teams who are sort of a little bit on the slide in terms of the competition, um, you know, that gives us a lot of com- uh, confidence uh, going forward. Um, you know, are we good enough really to challenge some of those top four teams? I'm not too sure. Um, but in terms of building confidence and, and hopefully giving ourselves a shot of making the grand, uh, sorry, the finals, um, yeah, we're, we're in a really good position. Well, you made a really good point before and, um, you know, about being standalone type teams like we are, the Broncos are. You know, we're out of town really from Sydney, et cetera, especially in the setup stages. Another one of those sides that falls into that bracket, of course, is the Melbourne Storm. Now, you Spent some time at, at the Melbourne Storm. Uh, they've lost some very, very high-profile players, but they continue uh, to break records. In fact, they broke one last night. What is it about the Melbourne Storm 
in, an, in such a heavily dominated AFL town? Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, like, you know, the thing with also being in that heavily dominated AFL town is that, um, you know, they're just sort of left to their own devices a little bit. And, you know, unlike sort of the Sydney clubs that come under a lot of scrutiny and everybody knows who they are, they're down in Melbourne, you know, even, even you know, despite having one of the most successful records in the NRL, they're sort of just left to, to do what they do and no one sort of really takes much notice of them. And, you know, I think Victoria really appreciates how successful they are. But, um, you know, if they, even if they were sort of bottom of the table, I, I think the, the, <laughs> the way that the public act down there would, would be exactly the same. So, um, yeah, they've got... I, I, I quickly learned when I, when I got there... Um, that the level of expectation that was put upon monks, uh, put upon the players, not from the coaching staff, but from the the playing group itself, um, and how uncompromising they are uh, in terms of that standard of excellence within that team, uh, was something that you know I, I just didn't didn't recognise or didn't see at, at the Warriors. Um, it, it, Yeah, it thrust upon it, you, uh, and automatically, yeah, automatically, you, it, you, you sort of it comes through. You know, we've had some, we've seen some players who have maybe you know, likes of, of, of some players who have come to the Warriors from the Melbourne system and not never be as good as they were in the, through that Melbourne system. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing that they can keep that standard up. Every new player that comes in knows what's expected of them. Um, you know, they slot onto the positions and they just fulfil what exactly what the last person who played in that position did. Um, and it's yeah, and it's it just keeps you know keeps churning out success for them. Uh, we look at the coaches' box and you know exactly what the score is on the scoreboard. You only have to look at Craig Bellamy's face. You don't have to look at the scoreboard. Um, so, how how much of that? How much of what you've just said is Craig Bellamy? His record is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and like like I say, I, th- I think yeah, by, by by what I've said in terms of setting standards of excellence amongst that group, um, here's one person that's unwavering um, in that. Um, yeah, a lot of it sort of just a lot of it is from him sprinkled down to the the leadership group amongst that side, who then, and then in turn sort of um, you know make sure that everybody buys in and everybody is on board in terms of where where they want everybody at. Um, he is amongst. Yeah, the many coaches that I had, he was probably the uh, um, the the one coach really that I thought was showed some vulnerability, um, which is weird because it doesn't. Yeah, looks like we're having um, some more reception problems uh, with Warangi Kuku. So had that um, personal sort of um, effect, you know. Okay, um, just finally, um, sort of dropping in and out about uh, Wainangi, but I don't know who's <coughs> got the issues there. Look, uh, Broncos captain, and uh, getting back to the Broncos, uh, Alex Glenn, of course, he's uh, been a great New Zealander as well, has announced his retirement at the end of the season. Uh, how would you rate his career, mate? Yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, he's been a stalwart um, through many of the teams, but in particular that Broncos side, um, you know, it's, yeah, sort of appreciate everything he's done for the club, and I think he's he's done made the right decision and um, focusing on his family and, and moving on. Um, now that he's you know, still in pretty good nick, um, 
um, Alex Glenn. So yeah, no, he's been fantastic for the Kiwi side when he has he's appeared for them, and yeah, we wish him all the best. Well, we get our last last glimpse of him uh, against the Warriors, anyway. Uh, this weekend, Warangi Kupu, absolutely fantastic. Really enjoyed your recounting those uh, very early stories too, uh, about the odd punch here and there. The tough boys uh, involved in the game of rugby league. It is uh, ten eighteen here on SENZ uh, when we return. It is panel time uh, with Kimberly Downs and Richard Nola. Of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel this morning consists of Richard Nola, of course. Uh, He's from the press down there in Christchurch. Uh, Also a very noted uh, rugby writer as well as uh, pretty much an expert on a lot of other matters. He's been around uh, quite some time. Uh, Kimberly Downs, of course, of TVNZ fame and Kimberly of course, you are still, I think, in MIQ. And uh, a few days ago, you'd have been looking forward to a couple of nice meals at the viaduct, a couple of Chardonnays, you know, get out and about. Now, and you're going to get out of MIQ at some stage, and you've got to go straight home. Uh, yeah, that about sums up. It's actually, you know, I'm popping up seeing if I can stay a bit longer because it's quite nice having three meals a day delivered given the circumstances but that's all right that's all right no um these are the realities of the world that we live in currently aren't they so that's okay we're uh, we're bracing to exit lockdown and go into another lockdown it'll be all right Kimberly uh it's been announced yesterday that uh, cycling and New Zealand and high performance sport New Zealand will launch an independent inquiry uh, into uh the what happened with uh, Olivia Podmore and into their organizations in particular they want more transparency I would imagine uh, perhaps uh, not the only body uh, looking at doing this, um, just in hindsight. Yeah, I would say so. It had to happen, didn't it? Really, you can't have something like this happen and not have an independent review uh, into how that came about and some of the factors that might have led to it. I'll be interested to see. I think they're releasing the framework next week. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see some of the specifics and the details of what is, of, of what is going to be included. Uh, you see as well, uh, some of it is around how effective what's been put in place since the Michael Heron inquiry um, took place back in 2018. So that'll be really interesting to see as well because, of course, a lot of what we've heard since and in the wake of Liv Palmore's tragic death is that not much changed and what had changed was really paying lip service to kind of some of the things that were put in place in the wake of that review. Um, and like you say, it's it wouldn't surprise anyone, I don't think, if this had much further reaching consequences, particularly into other elite sports, because not just cyclists who deal with pressure at the very top end and at lower levels as well, realistically, but athletes across all sport, and we've kind of seen commentary from various athletes across various sport about this in the last week, and so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was much, much further reaching consequences and, like you said, potential for further reviews and, and how things, and a shake-up of how things work and how we view elite sport. Yeah, Richard Nola, that, that's an interesting point there because, you know, we just assume everything's hunky-dory, everything's nice and smooth till something like this goes wrong. And this is the extreme end of going wrong, believe me. Um, so, you know, it's at a, a real sort of prod in the arm, a kick in the pants for all organisations. You assume everything's fine with rugby, you know, but we've got some very high-profile men's and women's teams these days. Uh, you know, do, you, do you assume 
until something happens, they just sit there, or, or are these measures constantly being looked at? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing is there's a large degree of trust. I think an athlete would go into these high-performance programs trusting the people that are running them are going to get it spot on um, and also that are going to manage them with dignity and respect. The other side of it is it is high performance. So you're expecting results. I mean, it's tough. Um, you are there to perform. And I think anyone who goes into those programs knows that's what's required. But that you've got to balance it. You're dealing with human beings. Uh, everyone is sensitive to criticism. Anyone who says they, they're not and then has got a thick enough skin to handle it probably is perhaps a little bit unique or not quite being honest. Um, what is disturbing around this is with with the Heron report that they had, the Heron review in 2018 for Cycling New Zealand, I mean, this should have been addressed. Um, it, it just staggers me that there has to be a tragic situation like this that has taken place. And now they're saying we're going to do it again. And then what will be really key, I think, is they're going to have an independent inquirer, who that will be, um, how far reaching, how deep they want to go into it. I mean, it has to be really a forensically detailed investigation, getting right to the bottom. And as you say, I do think it'll go across all sports. Um, and rugby, you know, we'll probably deal with that as sports journalists in New Zealand to some degree. And we all know that they have, um, I think they call them development managers, like every super rugby club has them. Um, they have a person assigned, and I'm pretty certain, 100% certain, they are paid for by the Players Association. So you have um, these development managers, they deal with the players or athletes, as I like to call them, um, and it's their job to manage them. It's their job to be, I, my understanding is that someone they can go to if a player is having problems, whether it be mental health issues or even injury issues that they want to talk about, that they may not be comfortable going to the coach or manager or, of the team or whatever. So this is nothing new. Everyone is aware of it. Um, I guess the major concern going back to Cycling New Zealand is that they have already had an inquiry a couple of years ago, and yet you have a tragedy like this happens. Um, and then it goes back to the trust. Imagine being a parent. If you're about to, to send your kid into this program, you're going to think, okay, um, how? I mean, we know it's going to be tough, and the kid will expect it to be tough, and they know that they're there to perform, but just exactly how are they going to be treated? And that, that's the major concern for me, I think, is that perhaps if there hasn't been any learnings, I mean, I don't want to be too jump the gun before another inquiry is made, but that's, that's the real issue. Just why has this happened? Is anyone not listening? Um, and if they haven't been, then there really do need to be ramifications. And I think we're going to have to see, uh, you know, Raylene Castle get heavily in, involved in it, and I'm sure she will, but she should be demanding answers, I think. It's, it's something that's uh, going to drag on for some time yet, I suspect. Uh, Richard, where's your money, uh, the rugby championship? Whereabouts, you reckon? Oh, yeah, I saw the news coming out. Uh, well, I quite like the idea of going to the Northern Hemisphere because... Uh, just with everything that's happened at this part of the world under COVID, I mean, clearly we we won't see the All Blacks here again in New Zealand. I don't think, unfortunately, with uh, you know with what's happening here, and now the uncertainty around Australia. And um, I, I, I quite like the idea of going to the North Northern Hemisphere if they can lock down grounds, get the whole competition up there, um, and get it going because there's so much uncertainty. If they do go to Aussie. 
uh, you know, with the latest news around what the Premier said in, in Western Australia um, in terms of quarantining, you know, with the All Blacks coming from New Zealand would obviously be affected. Yeah, I look, um, probably the, the major thing will be when, a, what time the game's going to be staged. Um, I'm thinking of time zones for New Zealand and South Africa and Australia, obviously, and Argentina being taken into account. Uh, can we get them so Kiwis are getting up in the morning and watching a game over their breakfast or whatever? Um, the idea of getting these teams playing in front of crowds, I like the idea of that as well. Like, let's say if they do go to Aussie and they are going to play and they say, well, hang on, we're not going to have crowds or whatever, but if we can get them into the Northern Hemisphere, and we're all, you know, we've seen in, in England, obviously, the crowds that they've had at some of those football games. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about it. And I like the fact that Sanzar have been nimble enough to come out of the, think out of the square, so to speak. Um, I'm not sure how far down the track this is, but I don't see too many negatives in terms of the environment at the moment. I mean, obviously, in you know, pre-COVID times, we'd love to see the All Blacks playing here. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive about it. And we'll, and we'll see how it goes. Richard Nola with us uh, with uh, Kimberley Downs, uh, members of the panel this morning. I'll come back uh, to Kimberley very shortly uh, on uh, perhaps that issue as well. And uh, at what point do we bite the bullet and just get on with things in New Zealand? Can we afford to do that? Follow us at ECNZ underscore radio. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yes, we're continuing with the panel here on SENZ with uh, Richard Nola and Kimberly Downs. Kimberly, I'll, I'll come to you now. Um, the possibility of uh, you having to hop on a plane now and, and go to the UK to cover the All Blacks uh, for the next six, seven, eight weeks. Uh, what about that? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it sounds like a good plan to me. Get me on the plane. Are you paying for my ticket? I'll, I'll be expecting a business class upgrade. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> no, I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm much with Richard in the sense that I don't see too many negatives about it. And I think for me, the main one, and I'm, I'll confess, I'm a bit of a rugby romantic sort of person when it comes to this, but the one that I've, the test that I've really got my eyes on here, right, is that 100th test between your blacks and the spring box. You just want it to be on a stage that seems fitting for the occasion, given the history of the rivalry, given the teams haven't played each other in so long. It's all set up to be such a remarkable test match. And with the greatest of respect to our friends over in Western Australia, Optus Stadium was not quite doing it for me in that regard, I must say. Um, so I do think in, in that sense, at least, if it can't be held, obviously, in New Zealand, um, in over in Europe, you know, you can imagine talking them or something like that would, would at least be a fitting stage and somewhat more inspiring. Um, so, I, yeah, in that sense, it's kind of you're, you're picking the best out of some not ideal options, and that probably is the best one for mine. Kimberly, uh, we, we spoke to Tom Walsh earlier this morning, and Tom, of course, has uh, now gone from the Olympics to uh, the Prefontaine Classic in Oregon in the USA. Uh, it's an event that uh, is going to be played out in front of crowds, etc. I spoke to him, he said Americans are just getting on with it. Uh, I know we're at early stages in this particular lockdown, but will there be a point where New Zealand sport and the government, etc., just have to say, let's get on with it? Oi, that's getting into some dangerous territory, isn't it, Ian? Um, oh, look, I mean, I don't think New Zealand sport will get much of a say if last lockdown is anything to go by. That'll be entirely dictated to by the government and what stage we are at. And unfortunately, I mean, it's it's 
one of those awkward catches, isn't it? Because we would all love in lockdown to have a huge amount of sport to just be able to sit back and watch and take up some of the day and enjoy because it is such an escape. It's one of the beautiful things about sport. It is, it, it, it just, it's a great way to kind of get out of the grind of the day-to-day realities. Um, I mean, I think we're lucky this time that at least as we go into lockdown, there's sport happening that we can escape with, so to speak, happening around the rest of the world. As for here, I mean, how long is the string? How long does the lockdown last? Until the government is confident it can go ahead safely, I can't see it happening, which, you know, for mine, in, in terms of a uh, very selfish sense, my brilliant Taranaki NPC team are currently 2-0, and and I'd hate to see this halt their momentum through the season. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling for them. Well, we can uh, stay on that theme as we head down south to Richard Nola because is the is the gap closing? Is the gap closing on the famed Canterbury side uh, pushed to the pushed to the limit by Manawatu, uh, beaten by Auckland? Um, it's it's a poor start, Richard. What's going on down there? Oh, I think Ian. I think the gap closed a while ago. Um, last season wasn't great for Canterbury. Uh, there was a few rumblings around the red and black fans that they weren't too happy that you know things didn't go too well uh and this year i tell you what uh, firstly i was very impressed with Manawatu and and their, their willingness to attack and, and what they wanted to do with the ball um canary got a lot of work to do uh probably keeping it in context to weave it they did have quite a few players out with injury and so there's a you know there's a few sort of what well, one of the better words, sort of big guns to come back. Um, but they have got likes of Cullen Grace. You know, he fleetingly played for the All Blacks against Argentina last year for a couple of minutes. Well, he's, he was excellent in Super Rugby last year. Probably didn't go so well this year. Well, he's gone for the season with a shoulder injury, or clavicle, my understanding. So um, it, it's quite a blow for their back row. They didn't have Billy Harmon, who's a very good fetcher. You know, he was with the Crusaders, and then he went down with the Highlanders this year. He was excellent at the Highlanders. Um so, you know, Harmon is yet to come back. Um, Tom Christie's out for the season. There's another fetcher gone. He was in, injured for the Crusaders. But outside of that, uh, their depth has been sorely tested. But they do have uh, a pretty good academy program um, through the Crusaders. And they, you know, they're pretty proud of it. And whatever's happening and coming into the team, there's some pretty good talent. But it's not they're not going so good at all. And... Yeah, they have to dig their way out of this hole. Um, they've got coaches in Mark Brown and Reuben Thorne. You know, Reuben obviously is a former All Blacks captain. Um, so they're the sort of the, you know, the crux of the coaching crew. They have got to find a way out of this, um, and it's just the detail. You know, just with their their lineout accuracy and that sort of thing. Even even when they played the previous week against Auckland, I don't know if you remember, but crikey, they were down by a heap of points at half time, and they did well to claw their way back in, but. When you looked at them, you think, mm, I don't think they're going to win this. So it's good for the comp. It's actually very good for the competition. But I would suggest those glory days of when Canterbury won just title after title after title. Um, <laughs> I think we're, so you can see they're in the sunset now. I mean, it's been a couple of years they haven't done it. And hopefully we can get things going again after this COVID. And uh, yeah, I would say they've got a real battle to get in there. And for you folk that like to have a flutter at the TAB... Um, yeah, you might be pretty bold, I suggest, to think they're going to win the title at this rate. So these are the tip. Yeah. 
Uh, Kimberly Downs, uh, just head across the netball for a moment. We uh, had a fascinating interview with uh, Emilia and uh, Ikanasio, mm. who has moved from the Pulse to the Magic. And everyone's sort of not denying things, but no one's really been uh, out there and saying it was because uh, she was unhappy, desperately unhappy. Uh, and they were sort of not, not being that supportive down there at the Pulse. Have you read anything dastardly in behind this, or was it all up front? Oh, I wouldn't say dastardly, but I do think that you can probably read between the lines a little bit and what's been said and what, more importantly, hasn't been said. Um, I think certainly when Amelia Ann's talking about how she's found the magic to be a more welcoming, family-friendly, supportive environment, it's hard not to read into that, um, which is not to say that the polls are not that. She's had a lot of good years with with that team and we know, you know well, I've spoken to her on a number of occasions about how much she loves that team but in terms of where she is right now she might just be finding that the magic environment offers her a lot more and then uh, watching the news actually last night my colleague Dewey Priest um, very good reporter down in Wellington and his story um, which alighted on some information that I hadn't been aware of at the time which was that the Pulse contract offer for her was actually in the second tier um, when it came to salary. And so I'm sure that probably paid a part as well because the reality is, you know, the financials are a factor. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think everyone's probably politely saying without saying that maybe she was being offered more support at the Magic than she would have been at the Pulse, but I think the money probably paid a part as well. And that's fine. I mean, all of those factors go into making decisions about where you move for your job, and that makes sense. And at the end of the day, hopefully it'll make for a much more competitive magic outfit. I mean, I hark back to their, their glory days when I actually first started covering them, and they had Casey Corpora in there and Leonard Brain and, you know, those that wonderful defensive circle, and they were... Laura Langman as well, actually, Dame Nolene Toto was coaching them at the time and they were winning titles and at that time it was the Trans-Tasman um, title as well and so it just, yeah, it, it would be, it's a great get for the Magic because she is an incredible player um, and I would expect that even after she's had her second child she will remain an incredible player. Obviously, uh, her leadership capacity um, is right there at the top end so it'll be interesting to see how at the end of the day, this actually does shake things up in that netball competition. Absolutely. Kimberly Downs, thank you so much for your time this morning. And to you too, Richard Nolan, down there in Christchurch. The main thing is uh, stay healthy, stay well, and uh, we'll hear from you again on the panel uh, very shortly. Uh, some good news when you come back. Some good news off the wire uh, here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.49 here on SENZ in the mornings with Ian Smith getting through towards uh, midday when Staffy Mark Stafford takes over. Uh, the good news I'm talking about uh, is regarding Chris Cairns. Uh, he is off life support and his uh, family have made a statement. He's communicating with his family. Of course, they're not able to be with him because of uh, the lockdown situation in Australia, uh, but he's communicating with them from his Sydney hospital bed. He was transferred to St Vincent's, which is a uh, top draw hospital in Sydney. Uh, he had an operation, and uh, now he's uh, okay. It seems, anyway, we'll cross our fingers. Uh, family says, I'm pleased to advise that Chris's off-life support has been able to do that communication. He and his family are thankful 
uh, for all the support and well wishes from everyone and for the privacy that uh, they have been afforded. They request that the same continues as they focus on his recovery going forward. I can't think of uh, much better news uh, for us, really, as sports fans in New Zealand uh, than Chris Cairns uh, coming off life support and looking like he's on the road to a recovery. It might be a long path. Uh, also, uh, of course, earlier in the week we heard that uh, Tōtai Kefu is on the up as well after being savagely beaten uh, and stabbed in, along with his family in a home invasion in Brisbane. So better news on uh, the fronts uh, there for a couple of uh, really well-known sportsmen uh, to us all. Uh, we are going to be talking to Louis Herman Watt and Paul Moati just before 11 o'clock here on SENZ. And uh, I'm going to ask Louis about uh, on Trivier, the star mayor on Trivier, who uh, appears to be in doubt for Royal Randrick after a mystery incident. Well, when it comes to mysteries, no one solves them better than Louis Herman Watt. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, and one of racing's biggest fans is uh, with us uh, as we uh, get towards uh, 11 o'clock this morning, Louis Herman Watt, uh, and uh, news coming through, not good news uh, for the Tangerine Army on Trivier in doubt for Royal Randwick tomorrow. Doubt, doubtful, Smithy, that's right. But look, she's she's head and shoulders above this field, in my opinion. I mean, you don't want to run the horse if she's uncomfortable, but I get the feeling they would have scratched her if it was bad enough. they got bigger sights as preparation. If the stewards let her race, look, from the barrier with the stone bruise, it's not ideal, but maybe I'm speaking through my pocket because I've got a lovely all-up futures bet with on Trivia to place, Aegon to place in the Mimsy and Avantage to place in the first league of the Triple Crown down your way. But I still think she'd be good enough. She's such a classy, classy mare and she's just a fast horse, Smithy. How good's it going to be to have racing at Randwick tomorrow and the Valley? Thank you so much for inviting me into your tipping comp. I can't wait to rip into that. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, and MV stands for Mooney Valley, not uh, Morfittville, as one of our <laughs> fellow <laughs> punting buddies said when and picked uh, in the punting copy, went and picked uh, five races uh, from uh, a totally different meeting and didn't win and wondered why. Uh, PJ, good work. Uh, uh, listen, uh, in terms of, um, look, we're going to be in this lockdown for a while. It looks like these numbers just keep increasing and the, and the spread is not too good. I asked you this uh, yesterday, Louis, any update on what's going to happen over the weekend or in the, the future. Because you know, I look at this Peter Vlandis uh, in Australia and he said, look, we can make it work. We can make it work. Why can't we? Well, Smithy, it's, look, this is not going to – I don't want to leave you with this because it's not going to make you happy. Look, this is – we had Bernard Saundry on the show yesterday. Then I went around and did a bit more digging and Mick Guerin had an article that he put up in the Herald and he managed to get it out of Bernard. We're not going to race at level four. And and here's this is this is what's been said in Mick's article in the Herald. NZTR will not be lo- lobbying to race at that level, and they just they they say that the differences between Australia and New Zealand is too much. The lockdown is too um, much more strict here. So I, I wonder if they've just been told by the government, don't even bother. Baz, Baz said this morning we need to try. You have to be the bad guy. You have to push the, you know, you have to push it. Um, I agree, but. It, you know, reading this, it, we won't be racing at level four. They're not lobbying, so it's just not in the question. So I guess the, the sights are set for level three. If we don't get there in time, I worry. I have grave grave fears for the racing industry. As I said yesterday, one of the trainers said that um, if we don't get racing again, 
so many horses will go to Australia. Anyway, I don't want to leave you on that note, Smithy. I'll leave you the tip. Miss Albania, race eight at the Valley. Jamie Carr, first time. The cash has come. $5.50 into $3.60. Don't be a moron, as Brendan McCullum says. Get moron. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 here on SCNZ, and in this hour, we will uh, uh, have a couple of stories from the past, um, uh, perhaps a couple of commentary stories, maybe a couple of team stories as well. Uh, we're going to have a, a get stumped by Smithy, or stump Smithy if you can, uh, it'll be after 11 o'clock, but I'm really pleased to say that we begin the hour, uh, we're going to go across to Tokyo and join one of the voices of New Zealand sport. Um, he, he's so recognisable, he's got his way of uh, doing things. Very, very appealing. Uh, he's commentated a lot of uh, great New Zealand moments in sport already, and he's still a really young man. He's got plenty to come to. So uh, I say good morning to you, Glenn Lama. You're still in, in Tokyo. Uh, why are you still there, sir? Hey, Smithy. It's good to, good to hear from you, mate. Hey, um, I'm still here because um, we've got the Paralympic Games starting next week, and... Um, it's my. It's actually going to be my first ever Paralympic Games, so I'm actually quite excited about uh, being here for this. I think it's going to be one of the great experiences of my career. Um, I'm going to be calling quite a bit of wheelchair rugby, and um, I, I, won't, I don't know if you've heard of this documentary called Murderball, which came out about 15, 16 years ago about the, the great rivalry which um, had developed at that time between the United States and Canada, and um, it's, a, it's one of the great sports documentaries. So I warmed up watching that yesterday, and um, no, I'm really looking forward to it, mate. So that's why I'm still up here. Glenn, uh, because it's your first uh, Paralympics, I just wonder how much, how much work, how much extra research. I mean, because you, you, if you're commentating it, not only do you have to know the uh, New Zealand Olymp- uh, athletes, of course, or Paralympic athletes, but you have to know uh, the favourites in the field, uh, other members uh, from around uh, the world. It must be almost an exhausting process to 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 get the knowledge on it. Yeah, look, I it's 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 um well, it's, in a way, it's no different um, learning about these athletes than any other um, commentary I do, Ian. And but you just what you, what you do is you, you there is a lot to you, you end up spending more time researching than actually than actually commentating. It's um it's a bit which is a bit kind of scary when you kind of start the process. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're the same, mate. I'd always, I always try to be over-prepared for anything I do, and if I don't use all the information that I've gathered on anyone, then that's fine. I mean, because, you, as you know, you just you use it when you need to, and, and, and sport is a fluid thing, and you need to be adaptable depending on what's happening in front of you. So that's kind of my philosophy. I'm, I'm trying to treat this no differently than any other um, than any other commentary that I've done, Glenn. The other thing you you've got to be across, of course, is the levels of disability, the levels of handicap, etc., uh, within any one event. So, uh, and they can vary quite a lot, can't they? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, and thankfully the the IOC have put out this document. It's quite a you can understand it's quite a few pages long, which details exactly all of the. Um, the classes for different sports. I'm quite fortunate with the wheelchair rugby. There really is only 
one class there, and it's quite quite a simple procedure. You've got to be confined to a wheelchair to actually be a participant in the sport. But I've got some table tennis coming up later in the Paralympics, Paralympic Games, Ian, and there's 10 different classes of athlete in that. Um, so you know, five of them are, are, are related to you know, we're able, or not able-bodied, but people who are able to play standing up, and the other five are related to people who can't stand up and have to play in a wheelchair. So yes, there's absolutely a lot to get your head around, mate. But thankfully, it's um, it's it's all laid out in a in a rather hefty document for me. Glenn Lama, uh, you've been there. You're in a great position to to answer this. Actually, you've been there for uh, the. The, the Summer Olympics, which have uh, just been completed, um, and now, of course, you're heading into the Paralympics. Tell us um, what you see uh, in terms of the level of interest, um, at the level of um, <clears throat> what has had to be done to get uh, certain venues ready for certain events, etc. I, I guess I'm saying the change in the atmosphere, really. Yeah, mate, it's a, it's a good question, and that was one I was looking forward to experiencing when I came up here a month ago now. Uh, look, there, there is very little fanfare around. Um, there was very little fanfare around the, the Olympic Games. Usually, when you go to an Olympic Games, there's banners up. People are in the streets enjoying themselves. There's just you can't escape the fact that the one of the world's biggest events, you know, is, is in the city that you're in. That was completely different here this time. There was nothing like that at all. Uh, and in fact, if you didn't know the Olympics was on in Tokyo, you, you wouldn't. You would struggle to find it because obviously the spectators were banned, and there was. And the reason, and the reason all of the the banners were taken down and the, and all of that stuff is they didn't want any mass gatherings, obviously because of the virus here. They didn't want people socialising out on the streets, out in public. So they decided to um, take all of that stuff down, which made it for a very uh, different Olympics. It was just such a shame in a way because all of the the venues that I went to were fantastic, and they've done a great job of setting them up in wonderful locations. Uh, and the sport that I saw was, was really good, but no one was there other than a few people, like a few volunteers or some teammates to watch it, which was, which was just weird. The same thing is happening for the, the Paralympics. They don't want any mass gatherings. As you're probably aware, the, the virus is still um, hanging around up here. Even though there's you know, a population of 15 million, they are still getting 5,000 cases a day here. So you do have to be careful and... You know, there's there's no question. Just like our our um, government in New Zealand, they don't want uh, the virus spreading as much as they possibly can. So they they take all these measures to ensure that it that they try and, and limit it as much as possible. You know, various countries countries around the world, as we're aware, have different strategies when it comes to this uh, this sort of thing. I mean, the, the Japanese government are quite different to our government with the way. Um, they do it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's something we're living with now. You know, I don't think it's going away any time fast, mate. Uh, you're not missing much at home, I can promise you that, Glenn. Um, listen, he, yeah. who should we be watching? Who would you, who from a New Zealand point of view, should we uh, keep a close eye on uh, in these Paralympics? Well, look, we don't have a big team, but you know, we've got a bunch of. Um, Paralympians like Sophie Pascoe and a couple of other swimmers um, that are definitely going to have to be looked at. I'm always quite interested to see how our athletes go. Obviously, Liam Malone's not here this time, but we do have uh, some other sprinters in there and other blade runners in there this time that are looking to make a splash. We have quite a few cyclists as well. Uh, and the wheelchair rugby team. I mentioned the wheelchair rugby team before. Uh, you know, I mentioned back in, in those early 2000s when that great rivalry was, was going on between 
the Americans and the Canadians, well, it was based around the whole documentary built up to the to the 2004 Olympics in Athens, Smithy, and the, the, the Wheel Blacks won that one. They came in and kind of spoiled the party, which made for uh, maybe not the best ending to the documentary that they were looking for, the producers, but um, the Wheel Blacks came in and, and, and pinched it. But um, unfortunately, since then, it's been fairly quiet for the Wheel Blacks. This is their first appearance at the Paralympics for... Oh, I'd have to, I think I'd have to double-check since Beijing. So it's a long time, and other countries have moved ahead of what the Wheel Blacks were able to achieve you know, 15, 20 years ago. So it's not going to be easy, but there'll be a lot of excitement in the wheelchair rugby community in New Zealand with the Wheel Blacks in there for the first time in a long time. But it's, um, it's going to be a, a real challenge for them to win a medal because there's some very good sides up here. Glenn, obviously uh, our athletes, our Olympic athletes are home now. Some are, uh, have emerged from quarantine. Some are still uh, in there with a bit of time to do. Uh, but uh, obviously uh, we, we can't forget that quickly, the performances of some of our stars and, and, and some of our uh, participants who didn't perhaps get medals, but from your point of view, from a commentary point of view, uh, what was your highlight uh, in terms of the event and what was your New Zealand highlight uh, in terms of, uh, of what you saw? What, what was the one you commentated on or the event you commentated on the, the most that you will remember? Well, look, I, the, the thing I, the, the best thing that I commentated on was a bit of archery, actually. I, I, in the women's um, gold medal match, which was uh, between a Korean and a Russian, uh, it all went, it went down to a one-arrow shoot-off, which was a, a fantastic way to conclude that women's competition. So, you know, they, they, they go through all these matches all the way through, and I think they start off with 64 in the field. It's all knockout, so you, you, you have to beat... 64, 32, 16, 8, semi. So you have to win five matches to get into the to the gold medal match. And then that match went all the way to the very end where it all came down to one arrow, a one-arrow shoot-off the closest to the centre wins. And it's just that sort of stuff I, I really enjoy because it's the most dramatic sport you can possibly get. The athletes put in years of hard work, um, years of training, they probably, uh, 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 from what I understand, the leading archers in the world shoot 2,000 arrows a week in training, which is just an incredible number of arrows, and everything comes down to one arrow. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and the Korean actually was closest to the centre, so she won, but I just thought it was a great um, way to end uh, that, and, and, and it finished for me in the most dramatic way. So that was my favourite moment uh, commentating at the, at the games. I was also really, I did really enjoy commentating the New Zealand men's football game in the, in the pool play because the New Zealand men's team had beaten South Korea. Okay, they'd lost to Honduras, which was a bit unfortunate. But all they ended up needing was a draw against Romania in that last game. I was given that game to commentate, and I really enjoyed doing that game, and New Zealand got out of the, the pool stages for the very first time in an Olympic game. So that was, a, that was cool to do that. Um, and I think my favourite New Zealand moment, I think like many others, has got to be Carrington. She's, she's just a machine, isn't she? And I know you've spoken to her since she's um, come back. And, mate, what a joy she is. Just an absolute pro. So she would certainly stand head and shoulders above, above every other New Zealand performance for me at this Olympics. Hey, Glenn, uh, thanks very much. It's been great talking to you. Uh, good luck with um, your particular calls coming up. Uh, it's a new experience for you, and uh, it's always a great thing uh, in commentary. Uh, and the most important thing is to uh, stay well and, and travel safely home. Uh, enjoy uh, your extended stay in Tokyo, and thanks for being with us. Hey, anytime, mate. Thanks very much for having me.
Yeah, Glenn Lama there, folks. Uh, man affectionately known as the Dalai in media circles. Uh, terrific man and uh, does an extremely good job uh, in bringing sport to us uh, through the airwaves or on television. Uh, it's 11.15 here on SENZ. Um, uh, when we come back, we'll get uh, stuck into some of the texts that I've been getting, some uh, quite pointed ones as well. Uh, and then we'll move up to uh, just after 11.30, Stumped Smithy. Uh, you'll get a chance to win 50 bucks worth of vouchers from the TAB to spend either today or over the weekend. Could be a long weekend. I don't mean a long weekend, but I mean a, a long weekend. As Australia have had enough, and uh, it seems that they're going to get very serious about this T20 uh, Cricket World Cup. Uh, and uh, really, uh, for Justin Langer, it's a, a chance for people to get off his back. Not that they ever do over there. Uh, Aaron Finch is the captain, Ashton Agar, Pat Cummins, uh, Josh Hazelwood, Josh Ingalls, uh, Mitchell Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Kane Richardson, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Marcus Stoyness, Mitchell Swepson, Matthew Wade, David Warner and Adam Zampa. So a couple of leg spinners in there are really high-profile, high-powered bowling attack, to be fair. And the superstars of Warner and Smith, uh, Finch himself in the batting, along with Mitchell Marsh and Glenn Maxwell, uh, they mean business, don't they? They absolutely mean business about this T20 World Cup. It's uh, hard to think that they could get uh, a more powerful side uh, when it comes to that uh, T20 World Cup uh, in the UAE. And by goodness me, that uh, is not too far away, John Day. Things that roll around pretty quickly in the world of sport, even though uh, we're in lockdown here. Yeah, oh, thank God uh, for overseas people. Um, yeah, I'm looking at that T20 World Cup squad of Australia. Are they strong enough in the middle order, obviously they've got the big show with Glenn Maxwell and Stoinis can hit a big ball occasionally, but don't you need more than that in T20 cricket? Are they just going to go with um, specialist bowlers, specialist batsmen, a couple of all-rounders and play a more traditional style of cricket, even in the shorter form? Well, as a theory in, in T20 cricket, even that the bowlers are the, one, the ones that win the game, you're always going to get batsmen that hit it out of the park and whatever, but you know it's the bowlers that restrict and it's the bowlers that knock people over. Uh, and so they've I think they've gone that way. They've gone very bowler-heavy, but they've got enough there uh, with Maxwell and Marsh and Stoinis. Uh, if you played all those three together, you've got a lot of bases covered because uh, all three of them also bowl. Uh, and there's not too many just specialists in one area. Finch is obviously a, a specialist batsman, but his other string to his bow is he's the captain. Uh, you've got Matthew Wade, who can uh, wicket-keep from time to time. David Warner, who's uh, just an out-and-out -out, uh, batsman, as you well know. But uh, most of those guys are dual-purpose cricketers. Uh, that's that's the strength of, of that particular side. So, uh, look, they're good. Uh, don't back against them. They're good enough to leave out Dan Christian, uh, who's an absolutely fantastic T20 player. has made a fortune out of it in the IPL uh, and as a quality unit in his own right. So, uh, hey, they, they look good, um, but they're not unbeatable. Uh, you wonder about their confidence levels, but they are an Australian cricket team, and uh, when they start off um, any new project, they tend to go in there uh, pretty confident uh, about the whole thing as well. So, uh, yeah, no, that, that's an interesting one for me. Uh, John, uh, other news, of course, coming through is that uh, Cycling New Zealand um, have uh, commissioned an investigation into the culture at the organisation. This is on the back of uh, the one they already had, the Heron Review. Uh, so uh, because it, uh, uh, you know, Olivia Podmore is, of course, committed suicide, suspected of doing so, um, is, is this... Cycling New Zealand uh, with more and more transparency or is this pressure saying, Cycling, you haven't fixed your gig, you haven't fixed your, your outfit, what's, what's going on? Do, do we have to go again? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's, it's, that's exactly what it is, Smithy, isn't it? Uh, it's like you haven't done enough from that original review three years ago. Why not? Um, you know, um, and now we're talking about someone who's lost their life, you know. Uh, how does it get to this stage? Um, and I've been in contact with Cycling New Zealand, like a lot of media have, um, trying to get them to do a, a kind of a please explain how did it get to this point. And um, their response at this point in time is they're fully focused on Olivia Podmore's family and friends and making sure everything with them is okay. I'd say behind that, uh, they'd be very much uh, be answering to High Performance Sport New Zealand and the boss there, Railing Castle. She'll be asking some really hard questions of this organisation why it wasn't it done before something as tragic as this occurred? What is going on at Cycling New Zealand? And from the stories we've heard from many panellists who work closely with Cycling New Zealanders, they were getting the mental support, but not the right kind of mental support, not the well-being for the athlete, more of the are you OK to cycle fast? How do we get you back on the track to do your job? Not how do we get you back feeling really good about your life in general? Um, so worried about the athlete more than they've been worried about the person, which is, um, I guess, what you get at high-performance sport where you live in, uh, you know, you, you get paid if you do well, and if you don't, you miss out on the funding. So it's just getting that balance right, Smithy. Do, do we want our athletes to be happy or, uh, you know, and winning at the same time? How do you get that balance? Well, they want them to be safe. I mean, you know, playing sport is such a small part of your life, to be fair. It can set you up for other things in life, but in terms of your whole life, it's such a small part of it, John. Um, look, I, I've got a couple of theories about this, and um, that to me, there's no no secret about the fact of when it happened. That happened when um, you know the Olympics were going on, or the Olympics were the Olympians were coming home, um, and so you know, for me, it was a, a point that she felt that she'd missed out. And I think, you know, all I can say is that this is my theory, and you can poo-poo it if you like. I'm not fully qualified um, to, to talk about the, the medical side of it or the emotional side of it, the psychological side of it, other than to say I've been there in a smaller capacity than this. When you are left out of a team, when you think you're going okay, and when you are left out and you, you miss out, they call it FOMO these days, fear of missing out, when you do miss out, it's a very low feeling. It is a very, very low feeling uh, that you you think that someone else has got your job and you might never get your job back. Uh, I felt it two or three times throughout my playing career, and it's a hollow feeling. It hits you deep in the guts, and it's a real realization of what's 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 tomorrow going to bring, particularly if you're playing in a, a professional capacity. What what have I got to look forward to? What have my family got to look forward to if I don't get back in? If I don't get my place back? And they're desperate thoughts. They're desperate times. And, you know, for that, you know, this poor young lady, uh, Olivia Podmore, was looking in like the rest of us uh, on the Olympics happening across the other side of the world. Uh, she was seeing cycling success. She was seeing other people wearing the silver fern that she had done before and she desperately wanted to do again, but she missed out. And, and I, I'm pretty sure, in my mind, that might have been a, a contributing factor. As I say, I'm no expert. Uh, just my five cents worth there, and I'll leave it at that. After the, uh, the break, folks, you can, the news with Trudy coming up right now, you can call us uh, on 0800 150 811. It's time, your last chance this week, to stump Smithy. I wish you all the best. You know the number. Get involved. Oh, so-so. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah. no, you're not yeah. allowed to complain. 
Absolutely not. Nah. Um, all good, mate. Um, so, three sporting categories for you today. Your ones are right. pretty classic sporting categories, these ones. Rugby. And also rugby league and football. Which one are you going to go for? Oh, I'll give the league a go, mate. Nice. Nice. Are you a Warriors fan? Yep. Excellent. You got, the, you got the faith? You reckon they can make the eight? Oh, they could, you know. Stranger things have happened. You never know. <laughs> You're not wrong. All right, let's get started. All right, rugby league, Callum from West Auckland. Manly winger Ruben Garrick just broke a long-standing Seagulls record for the most points scored in a season. Who previously held the record? Oh, Matthew Ridge. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Absolutely. 1995, Matthew Ridge, a stellar season for the Seagulls, only to get tipped up by Terry Lamb and the Bulldogs in the grand final. All right, question number two. The Auckland Warriors were one of four new teams to enter the NRL, or ARL, as it was called in 1995. Who were the other three teams that entered the competition in 1995? Uh, Cowboys, uh, Western Reds, and... You're getting uh, there, you're getting there. What? What was that? Yes. Um, South Queensland Crushers. There he goes, all the way, up into the stand, one ahead in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. That is impressive. I actually went to the South Queensland Crushers club rooms. They were very nice. I think Trevor, the axe skill mister, was one of their star signings. Smithy, would you have got that? No. No, Callum's Callum's got me cold here. Absolutely got me cold. He knows his rugby league. Write his name on the vouchers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the last one to get that $50 TAB voucher. The St. George Dragons hold the record for the most premierships won in a row. How many titles did the Dragons secure consecutively? 11. (laughs) Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Mate, you know your rugby league through and through. 11 from 1956 to 1966. They won every title. I don't think any rugby league team or any sports team, Smithy, will ever do that again. No, uh, they're, uh, yeah. not in today's environment. No, uh, not yeah, a, no they're pretty I don't good. Think anyone, I don't think anyone will ever blitz me like Callum just did either again. I mean, I just didn't even get a chance. Uh, not that I'd have been Oh, It was, uh, it was an honour, Smithy. It was an honour talking to you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, Callum, hey, please do me a favour and t- turn that 50 bucks uh, into uh, 150, eh? Do that. That's I'll try, mate. I'll, I'll, wait. I'll, wait. I'll put it on your multi, all right? I'll put it on your next multi. <laughs> I'm not sure about Make that, it mate. A good Don't one. put all of it on that. <laughs> Don't put all of it on that. I'll, I'll read you out my multi, uh, just in case you missed it. Here you go. Think what you, it's a, There's a couple of league ones in here. Sea Eagles to beat okay. the Raiders at a buck 38. Yeah, Sea Eagles yeah. to beat the Raiders. Sharks to beat the Tigers at a buck fifty-six. Um, uh, South Africa to beat Argentina thirteen plus, and uh, the rugby on Sunday morning our time. And Naomi Osaka to beat Jill Teichman at tennis as well. That's Naomi Osaka who's had so many emotional problems, but uh, through it all, she's a damn fine tennis player. So that would get you four fifty-two. But I suggest to you don't put the lot on that because my record is not brilliant. Have same. Yeah, I don't know about own. those league ones. 
<laughs> oh, okay, fine. Okay, yeah. thanks for filling me with. Right. Hey, stay on the line, and thanks very much, Callum, with filling me full of confidence. Stay on the line with yes, the details. Okay, eleven thirty-seven here uh, on SENZ. We just had a, a late text come in. Uh, Hi, Smithy. The issue with cycling New Zealand is the same as canoeing New Zealand. These reviews should publish, be published them uh, publicly, so we can all ha have a look at them. They just swept them under the carpet or put them in the top drawer and forget about them. There should be full openness and transparency. Well, transparency is the word uh, they've promised us, just like the MediaWorks uh, situation where they were uh, up front and uh, as a result, heads rolled in that one. Smithy, uh, during your playing career, was uh, there guys who were knocking on the door who maybe should have been given a chance, the cricket equivalent of Dwayne Monkley in rugby? Uh, well, the pool of, of talent around cricket uh, teams and international teams is not as as huge as it is in rugby. Drain Monkley was desperately unpopular. Um, I'll have to think long and hard, but there would have been some, yeah. There would have been some. I, I, you know, I, I know in my particular case, um, Irv McSweeney, uh, fantastic uh, all-round cricketer, uh, wicketkeeper, batsman, prolific run scorer uh, for Wellington in particular. Uh, he never got a go um, at test cricket. Others were tried uh, in place of uh, Irv McSweeney and particularly after I'd, I'd just finished as well. And I often thought that he was perhaps... Uh, a little bit hard done by. So there's just one that I can think of in mind, but mate, I can think of so many guys that put the hard yards in uh, during those early years when I was playing that weren't able uh, to make it. Uh, more on that uh, in uh, a new segment we're going to try, Spinny and Yarn with Smithy. Uh, it's 11.38 here on SENZ. Um, and it, it, uh, Miller came in and smashed 49 in no time at all. Uh, they put together a great... Uh, Duplessis, I think, was there. They put together a great score. And, and in the end... Uh, because of the Duckworth-Lewis uh, system, the calculation, uh, we had to get go get 298 off 43, which was a pretty forlorn sort of an effort. And of course, being a, a part of the 1992 team that uh, stumbled at the semi-final stage at Eden Park, I thought, uh, here we all over again, here we go. So um, we entered into it. I wasn't doing the initial uh, commentary stint in our run chase. So as, if you set it up at Eden Park, you're upstairs, right? And, and as you look at the cricket pitch, you're on f level five commentary box is on level five and it's right next to uh, the cameras who are looking down the ground to those beautiful shots you see straight down the ground of the bowlers and the line and the length etc on one side there's a viewing area there off to the side as well that you can go and, and sit and watch outside the commentary box so you, and that way it's open air so you can get the atmosphere on the other side is the actual corporate box of New Zealand cricket and in there are the, the dignitaries and, and you know, when it comes to a World Cup semi-final, you certainly get some dignitaries come out of the woodwork. They're sitting in those plush seats, along with family and friends of the players. So that's the scene up there as you're looking down. When we started that run chase, guess who came out? You know, a hero in, in the mornings here with Izzy Baz came out and he blasted it. And right from the word go, right from the first over, we were on a high. Uh, Eden Park uh, thought, I think they all thought, yeah, 298 and 43 overs, uh, we'll give it a go. We'll give it a brave chance. Baz will slog a few and... We'll get going. You know, we might not get them. Um, you kind of sense that was the atmosphere around the ground. And then Brendan McCullum lit the place up. It was unbelievable. I remember sitting next to Shane Warne. Uh, I'm going to name drop a wee bit here in, in this little story. I was sitting next to Shane Warne. He said, I don't believe this. I cannot believe that this guy is taking Dale Stain apart like this early on in the piece. And he was hitting the movie extra cover for six and down the ground in, in a partnership. And, you know, that, that really got us rocking and rolling early on. And I think the crowd just into it, of course, you know. 
it's it's night time at Eden Park. You've got a few bevies on board and the atmosphere starts to build. There's a bit of a buzz uh, underneath the commentary boxes that, yeah, where the, also where the rich and famous are, the corporate areas where they sit with those glorious seats and they stand around in that beautiful bar area there and, and you just get the buzz coming up into that viewing area. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, as, as endings uh, come and go, you know, people get out, people come in and try and they miss out and then you get in other good partnerships. Corey Anderson came out and played very well. We got to that last over, and, and commentary rosters are done randomly, really. They are. And I just, you know, it was my gig to do the last six or seven overs of that game. And when we got to the last over, of course, Daniel Vittori uh, was, was out there with Grant Elliott. Now, if you, you're looking at balanced guys, level-headed guys, you've probably got the two in that particular squad, the two most balanced, level-headed players for the big occasion uh, that you want. And they are... Um, you know, they're the ones that are going to think things through. They're not going to panic. But at the other end, you've got probably one of the most rated fast bowlers in the world, certainly in the history of South African cricket, Dale Stain, coming at you. Uh, and then you've got this, this field set. You've always got scoreboard pressure, who I regard as the 12th fielder in any team. When you are chasing a total, you've got scoreboard pressure. He's up there staring you in the face saying, come get me. Uh, and that is always the common denominator. You don't know how people are going to be able to deal with. And we got to the situation, and then um, we were always under pressure. Vittori worked, worked that beautiful four uh, down to uh, the third man, just fine enough to go down to the boundary at Eden Park. Small boundaries, but hey, we've known that since the year dot. Uh, but he used the, the dimensions really well. <laughs> and we got to this point where I've got Graham Smith uh, commentating alongside me. Now, Graham Smith's fantastic cricketer for South Africa, great leader. Uh, he's right next to me, and on his left... Uh, down the far end is Michael Atherton, who's, uh, of course, with England. England had a terrible 2015 World Cup, so his hopes had been dead and buried for quite some time. So he's always Mr. Neutral, always Mr. Considered, Mr. Cambridge University educated sort of toff. Uh, so he, you know, he, he's cool, um, but he's, he's not living it like we, Graham Smith and I, the two Smiths, are living it. Um, so the, the, the closer we got, uh, we got to the scenario where Graham Smith was confident one ball, I was confident the next ball. He was confident the next ball. He backed Dale Stain the whole way through. I didn't really quite know. Um, I knew the balance and, and the level-headedness of these players, but did I know that um, with New Zealand's history, uh, we were going to find a, a, a bit of magic uh, to get through to the final? Uh, and, and at the same time, South Africa had never made a World Cup final themselves and still haven't. Uh, and so that was their, that was their big uh, monkey they were trying to get off their back, so to speak. So he'd been through it, Graham Smith, and he'd been living it from that perspective. And then Grant Elliott <clears throat> hit that thing. He got one right in the slot. And you could see him pick out uh, areas that he could do the damage with the big shot. And, of course, everyone's favourite area uh, is over Cal Corner, if you get it there. And that's exactly where it went. And that's the same spot, almost the same seat, where Kane Williamson had, uh, a week or so earlier, done the same thing to knock Australia over. And it was, you know, it was, there was a bit of an irony about that. But as we called it, you could hear um, in my commentary, I, I went to turn into a, a ranting maniac there for a while, but that was just out-and-out out excitement. Out-and-out out excitement. And that differed from um, the World Cup in, in, uh, at Lords because that, whilst that was excitement, we didn't win. Uh, and so you had to keep more balanced about that sort of thing. Um, this one, we won this game. And it just blew me, it just absolutely blew me away. But I, I fed off what I could see out the window. Um, I could see out the window, arms raised. I could see the whole stadium on their feet. I, I could see to the left of me um, in the New Zealand corporate uh, cricket 
box there, um, I could see the officials, what it meant to them, the people that had organised the tournament to put it together. I could see the families embracing, everyone hugging and kissing. I mean, grown man kissing. It was just great, just absolutely fantastic. Beer cups were getting thrown in the air from down below. In those areas where you're supposed to behave yourself, people, it was just absolute mayhem. And then around the ground, you just kept looking at this wave of, and, and this fantastic scenario through the effects uh, in my uh, headphones. I could, I could hear the noise as well coming through. It was impossible to miss. Then you look out the window and you're still, because the people at home, uh, they can't experience that. The ones you're catering for on television, they can't experience that. They're not there. So you now have to describe what you can see on television. If you start describing things people can't see, they get really frustrated. That is one of the arts of commentary. So you go back to what you see on the screen, and then you see Dale Stain on his hands and knees, one of the great fastballs. You see uh, people helping each other up. You see you know, these big, tough South African guys brought to tears, and then you see uh, the humbleness of Grant Elliott trying to help people up. Daniel Vittoria, it takes a lot to get him excited. There's a smile on his face, and the New Zealanders running out. Uh, it was just... It was just fantastic to, um, to relive. Uh, and so for that moment, um, no problem for me. Uh, one of my most special moments in commentary, John, um, not so much for the end result, but for the atmosphere and the beauty of Eden Park. Been there so often, seen some great moments. Certainly, clearly, number one. Yeah, mate. Oh, I was in the crowd, and yeah, I never hugged and kissed so many strangers in my life. It was one of the greatest <laughs> moments of my life. And um, yes, a spinning a yarn with Smithy. Get your texts in now, and what do you want us to spin a yarn with next week? Um, we've had lots of suggestions already. I think your century at Eden Park, Smithy, has been one of them, uh, um, but lots of lots of suggestions. We'd love to take them. Uh, we've got Mark Staffy right. next. Uh, Smithy? Yep, okay. That hundred was boring as batshit. We'll get on to Staffy. That 100. Absolute fluke, like winning cricketing lotto. Let's get to Staffy shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a couple of minutes to midday here. Mark Stafford uh, takes you through the afternoon from 12 o'clock onwards. Mark Stafford is already in the chair, ready to go. Staff, what have you got lined up for a, a busy Friday, one hopes? Possibly my busiest ever day, Smithy. Good. And uh, don't go far away from your radio once your show finishes. We've got Ash Dixon at quarter past 12. The great man. Brilliant. The great man. Holly Edmonston. A cyclist from the Olympic Games is joining us. Jeremy Paul, the former Wallaby. Phil Gould. Uh, Ryan Flynn talking baseball. Uh, who else have I got? I've got Jacinda at 3 o'clock. Jacinda Ardern. Um, I made her change it to 3 o'clock because we had Jeremy Paul lined up. So she's uh, cooperated with that. And the first in our series of lockdown lessons, Smithy. And the lesson today is fitness and health with a personal trainer. You want to listen to that. Brilliant, Steph. Absolutely brilliant. I can tell you a secret. I was speaking to someone yesterday when you said you had Jacinda and Ashley on at one o'clock. Uh, that sick of them that that person changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, jeez. So, so you're getting through. And you know what? You and I both know that person concerned. So uh, very, very funny indeed. Gotcha. Hey, look, uh, good luck with that, Steph, uh, throughout the afternoon. Thanks so much for the whole week, Trudy. You've been great. Uh, Brian, outstanding once more. Uh, and JD and everyone for listening. CNZ. And, uh, stay safe for out there. Stay safe. Enjoy lockdown. At least you're spending time with family and friends. You can never get that back. 
Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.